In this episode, I'll be talking with popular clinician, educator, and podcaster Warwick Schiller. Warwick comes from the reigning world where he was NRHA Reserve World Champion, and he's also represented his home country of Australia in the 2010 and 2018 World Equestrian Games. But like myself, Warwick has gone through a transformation in how he trains and teaches. He has online educational resources and a popular podcast called The Journey on Podcast, where he shares his stories of transformational growth in both his horse training career and his personal life. His, in his podcast, um, he also has guests share about their own life-altering stories, motivations, and influences. I was a guest on his podcast, and I'm so excited now to have him join me here on mine. So I think you're going to love this conversation as we go into horsemanship, horse business, personal development, and just life, and so much more. So here we go, episode 109, Warwick Schiller. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Well, I am here with Warwick Schiller, everyone. <laughs> Welcome, Warwick. Hi, Karen. How's it going? It's going really well. So thank you for joining me. I know it's uh, between our two schedules, it's a little tricky. Uh, but I really enjoyed being a guest on your podcast and what we ended up talking about. So I am thrilled that I can have you as a guest on mine. What we ended up talking about. That was, yeah, it was so cool because, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that much about you apart from you're good with horses. And so it was so cool that, yeah, we ended up going where we ended up going to, you know, like one minute we're talking about horses and the next minute you're on the Temple of the Sun with a shaman. And I'm like, oh, you are you're the exact right person for my podcast. And I didn't know anything about that, about you. But, you know, it's funny, you know, I've had, I don't know how many podcasts you've done. I've done 90, I think I've recorded 90 now I think, and it's and, and you you talk to people who are maybe you know say good, quote unquote, with horses. I don't mean good as in they're Olympic gold medalist. I mean you know they kind of get it, and then you find that there's all these other personal journeys on the side that allows them to to be that way anyway. So it's yeah, I think it's less about your technique with horses and more about the other stuff. Mm. Well, I I really enjoy that 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 came up. I mean, I think anybody who's listened to your podcast uh, realizes what a what a great storyteller you are and how good you are at drawing out other people's stories, because I sure didn't come to your podcast ready to talk about those things. So I mean, it was super fun <laughs> for me. So um, yeah, I'm, I have to say I'm a little bit like, you set a good standard, I gotta like be as good an interviewer as as you are. <laughs> We'll see how I do. <laughs> you know the word that, I was talking to someone the other day. The word that comes up, not just for the podcast, but for life, is curiosity. You know, the word just being curious about things. And I'm curious about. I don't know how the hell I got you to uh, 
Temple of the I think it might have been you I don't know if we talked about books or something. It might have been the four agreements, I forget. Yeah. But we, we we were cruising along and then all of a sudden, whoa, we took this turn and the next thing that the guy comes in, you know, comes in the room and talks to you and leaves and no one else in the room sees him and Exactly. Why didn't they, why didn't they see him? Well he didn't want to be seen. Like, <laughs> whoa, okay, that's cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, um, the other kind of cool thing about having you here, Warwick, is um, I. it seems that um, a lot of students and horse owners out there have both of us on their team, right? So sometimes I could have phrased that as like, you know, my students, you know, are also your students, but I don't think they're my students or your students. But, you know, I feel like I'm part of people's teams, but I know we have a lot of crossover. So um, a lot of people in my community also enjoy your community. So I think that's, that's really cool. So I know we share um, some common principles and priorities. I think another thing we have in common is we both have made some big shifts (laughs) in how we train and how we teach. And I think we both have in common, um, sort of a passion for personal development and see it as sort of inextricable from inseparable from horsemanship. So uh, I kind of want to touch on all those things. I I think we're going to have plenty to talk about. You up for this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I I agree with you right there. Like the way I look at the horse stuff these days, um, it's just so much easier to do things with horses. There's, There's a lot less techniques involved, but there's there's got to be a paradigm shift in how you view the world, how you, you know, how you see what happens in front of you. You know, you're in the lens with which you view things, because if you view the horses through a certain lens, they're going to behave a certain way. I'm a, you know, I'm a big believer in you create your own reality sort of thing. Cause I'm, you, you do with the horses um, and they will be, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> excuse me. Um, <laughs> I'm just getting over COVID, so I've got a bit of cough. Oh, um, my goodness. They will be whatever whatever you want them to be sort of thing, you know. So, yeah, so it's, it's – yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, actually one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is that – is the big shift, right? So you, you say a lot like, well, I, I don't do it like that anymore. I do things differently. Um, how how would you describe how you do different th- – how you do things differently now um, compared to before? Um, I would say, you know, I used to be very, very good at training horses to be obedient without being rough or tough on them. Um, you know, I used to be, I used to be good at solving problem horses and stuff and it was you know, the, the way I would go about it was go back to the very beginning and start in the beginning. It's just, I just think my beginning start is different. These days it's about connection and really understanding the mammalian nervous system rather than it about being about, um, I wouldn't say coercing them into being obedient, but that, you know, like the, 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 the mindset used to be, you know, to get to the mind and move their feet. You know, like move their feet was a big was a big paradigm thing. You know, like you know, move their feet to get to their mind. Whereas these days, I found that if you can get to the mind, the feet just follow. And and the mind and the you know the mind. It's all for me. It's all about connection these days. Um, 
that's the short version. I mean, I could go mm-hmm. on for days. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you and I both have, like, we had training, we competed, you know, there's all this technique. And then, and and also, you know, like you, I I, I was one of the nice ones, right? It's, so I was never one of the <laughs> beat them up and make them submit kind of things. Um, and now there's this shift to a more, like, relationship and connection, and I think a lot of a lot of students will ask me, like, well, do, does all this connection stuff work? Would it work even if I didn't already know the technique? It's like, oh, well, you had all that technique first, so now the connection works. But, you know, I also find more and more, it's like we, no matter where you're starting from, even if you're just starting, like if you have to start somewhere, connection is a great place to start. So have you had any, you know, in teaching, any thoughts about, you know, your journey was techniques into more connection relationship. Can it work the other way around? Well, I think if you have one and not the other, you're going to come to a dead end somewhere. Um, you know, and for me, like my dead end was I, my wife bought a running horse that, that was, you know, very, very obedient, but kind of a shut down sort of a horse. And, um, you know, in the reigning with him, the thing I wanted to fix them, like we got it, we bought him cheap, um, but he was, you know, probably worth three times what we paid for him if he could get shown, if you could get him shown the talent, the stuff he could do, he was a big time horse, but he just didn't get shown well just because he carried this level of tension in his body that he would run around on the loose run, do the, all the hard stuff. But like, say, running fast circles, he would get tense and bounce his hind feet together every once in a while. And so that's a one-point penalty. That's You're out of lead when they bounce their hind feet together. You know, you're no longer in your counter stride. And so he might do that three or four times during a pattern. Well, if, if you know, you, with the reining, you start out with a 70 and you get up and down from there. You can win a lot of reinings with a 74. And so Robin could mark a 70 on him and have four penalty points, have him bounce his little hind feet together four times in the circles. So he could do all the really hard stuff. And I couldn't train that out of him. More training didn't didn't work. Um, so that's what really led me down the whole rabbit hole. But, but I, I see people who really want to get into this whole connection thing, and but they have no technique. And as long as you don't want to do too much, you can get along just fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, as long as you want to have a companion animal or just, you know, have a great relationship with them. But when you start to add, well, you want to do this and you want to do that, you've got to be able to have, I think you've got to be able to have some technique to go along with that connection. So I think you're going to, you're going to come to an end point if you have just technique or just connection. Um, but I think the holy grail is is having having the both, and of, of course, the more a complex understanding of the both you have, the more magic you yeah. can create. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's the sort of that's where things get really interesting, right? Because if you just want to be with your horse and out in the pasture, that's sort of easy in a way. And then if you just want to like get on and ride, you know, that's easy way but to to have that connection and then bring it forward with you i think is the to a high level especially is sort of where all the the interesting stuff happens but if you had to pick one hey if you just choose the connection at least you guys are going to both be happy and getting along and probably safer (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the thing with the connection stuff, it, it prevents a lot of, I'm not even going to say behaviors because I'm not even behaviors, but it prevents a lot of things that I used to be really good at training out of horses. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, once, once I got really into like polyvagal theory and stuff like that and, and understanding that freeze response, um, I realized that what a lot of the training I've done in the past has been kind of really good at taking a horse that's in a flight or fight response and turning it into a subtle level of freeze response, and now they're controllable, but then you've got to be able to train a horse who has this bit of a freeze response. So they might not be as forward as you want. Their legs might not swing as well as you want. They might not be as soft in their body as you want. And I used to be really good at, you know, teaching horses to not be stiff. Well, I realize now that the way I went about the initial handling of them caused them to be stiff. Mm -hmm. And I patted myself on the back and I was really good at getting them unstiff. Whereas now, they, they, you know, when you can get, have that that connection and then you have them, say they're standing still because they're in that, you know, that ventral vagal complex, if you're into polyvagal theory, into that, they're in that social engagement mode where they're just hanging out with you because they like to hang out with you, not because it's the least bad option. They're in a totally different state and you find that all the parts work (laughs) so well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, having that connection, to dissolve a lot of the defensive behavior. I think so many of the the problems that I've seen with horses and that I've helped horses with, when you trace it back, it's a, it's a defense mechanism against something. And a lot of times the something they're defending themselves against is the, the, the humans, you know, the things that we're doing and uh, sort of really feeling um, lately, uh, really being aware of the, you know, the power that I have to, to cause as many, you know, to cause the problems <laughs> and to really just step it back and say like, at first, let's make sure I'm not causing any problems and the power of waiting and observing and really seeing the horse. And you, you talk a lot about this with the attunement. So I wonder if you can share a little bit about what, what you mean about like attunement and attuned horsemanship. Yeah, so I just recently, well, last year sometime maybe, I think, um, changed the name of my business. It had been Warwickshire Performance Horsemanship. And the reason it was Performance Horsemanship, because when I, I moved to Australia, my family moved to Australia from like from 2006 to 2010. And when we moved back, I started all over again. And, you know, I was in the raining, doing the raining stuff. And most people, their, their business is, you know, so-and-so raining horses or so-and-so performance horses. And then you have the the cult starter, horsemanshipy guys, and their business is so and so horsemanship. And I, I was kind of of the opinion there is not a dividing line where one starts and one finishes, you know, one one ends and one starts sort of thing. So it was performance horsemanship, and I was interested in you know competing and and training horses to a high level in in the reining, um, but I was really interested in the whole horsemanship side of it. But then as the years have gone on, like you know. I started changing things. I really got into, there's a UCLA professor of psychology named Daniel Siegel, and he talks about attunement and the sense of being seen and being heard. And I had a guest on the podcast from Canada named Sarah Schlotty, and she's a trauma therapist, but she's kind of enhanced that saying to 
attunement to the sense of being seen, being heard, feeling felt, and getting gotten. And a minute ago when you said, you know, when you really start to see the horse, you know, I think when you start to see the horse, instead of seeing their behavior with the lens of whatever interpretation you have layered over the top of it, you really see what's going on. And, I, you know, that's that's what the attunement is really all about is, I, I probably if if I was going to quantify it, it would be a lot of it is communicating my awareness of their awareness. <laughs> um, you know, like there's an old Ray Hunt saying, "They know when you know, and they know when you don't." And I used to think that Ray Hunt saying meant they know when you know what you're doing, and they know when you don't know what you're doing. You know, they can tell a greenhorn from a mile away, sort of thing. Well, which I think is true too. But then a number of years ago, I read an article by someone who was around Ray Hunt a lot and he said, you know, when you're around a horse, you've got to know what their eyes are doing, what their ears are doing, what their muzzles are doing, what their nostrils are doing, what their flanks are doing, how their breathing is, what their tail's doing. Is it up? Is it down? Is it clamped? Is it loose? What their back's doing? And you need to know all of that because they know when you know and they know when you don't. So they can basically tell when you are present and aware of what's going on and I have found the more you can more I can communicate my awareness of their awareness and their focus the the that's that's kind of like the holy grail and I was influenced a lot by um some of the stuff that Elsa Sinclair does with with that that's that really like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense and it was some of the stuff it was some of it was stuff I was already doing and not knowing why it worked and so we're in a really you know when I really got into like polyvagal theory and stuff like that like basically the the human trauma stuff is what really informed me a lot yeah. about the horses but that whole you know it almost gets to the point where it's about communicating your awareness of their awareness, of your awareness, of their awareness. <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, I love that. It's the, yeah, seeing and feeling those really small changes. Oh, I saw that, you know. So, I mean, you can get really technical and it's like releasing at the right time. Well, if you're not aware, you're not going to release. But there's something even more of like, well, you said it perfectly. Like, I see you. I see you seeing me. I see you just move your eyeball from there to here or feeling those little changes. And I mean, that's where it comes down to being in the moment, which I think connects to all that personal development stuff we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. You know, and the thing about the other thing I think is hugely important with me, the way I look at things is it's, there's no right or wrong as in, like you said, you know, I see your eyeball went from here to there. Well, I wouldn't care if the eyeball went from here to there or there to here. Like, I don't care if it's moving towards me or away from me. Um, it's not one's good, one's bad. It's like, I saw that. Oh, and I saw that. And I saw that. And I saw that. You know, and like the, the horse, that the reigning horse that, you know, started me down this rabbit hole, he's out here in the pasture. I haven't ridden him for a number of years now. But when you, when I, whenever I approach him, he will stand there and if you are approach him and it's you can be quite a distance away and he might turn his head away from you like half an inch just this slight little movement and if you don't respond to that if 
you don't pause when he does that and you just march up to him. He'll stand there and he'll let you put the halter on, but his eyes don't move and his ears don't move and he's just like, yes, I'll do what you want. Mm. But if from 30 feet away, his nose moves half an inch to the right or his eyeballs turn to the right. It's harder now with the summer because he's got an, a fly mask on. But if you, if he turns his nose away from you slightly and you're 30 feet away, you just pause for a split second. It'll come back towards you and then you take another step and he might look away slightly and then you pause and then you take another step and then he looks at you and when you walk up to him, he's like, hey, dude, how's it going? <laughs> and that's, that's 30 feet away. But if you don't tell him from 30 feet away that you notice the little things, he's not going to say, hey, dude, how's it going? He's going to like, okay, I'll, you're one of those people. You'll, you don't notice little things. Okay, I'll, I can be that horse. Like I can do exactly what you want but there's not going to be any back and forth here. I'll just do as I'm told. And, yeah, it's just – it's so subtle. It's so cool. I yeah. love doing it. I love playing with it. <laughs> I, you know, I was, we've got a foal here that I'm, I've been uh, messing with, and the girl that works for us, she also – you know, we don't have much for her to do around here, so she lives here, but, she, she, you know, she rides horses in another place and then she spends half the day working for another horse trainer around here. And uh, she was out there watching me with him last night, and she's got a yearling. And she said, you know what, I just – I got to the point where I just love doing this stuff. And I said, which stuff? You know, the, the training after you've created the connection or, or just the, the hanging out with him? She goes, just the hanging out with him, just the little – just the little interactions. I, I love that stuff, you know. That's can, awesome. I love that stuff too. <laughs> so what, what would you say you're still working on when it comes to training horses? Me. Me. Pretty much. Me. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much me. And I know that sounds like it's a kind of a glib sort of a blah, you know, mm-hmm. blanket sort of an answer. But there's not... There's not, there's not really anything like I, I have no desire to compete anymore. Um, my wife and I thought we wanted to do something different to compete, and right now we like we like riding around the block and trail riding. <laughs> um, so I don't have any performance or you know technique related goals that I'm. I'm aiming towards yeah it's 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 really me and and I'd say for me it's being present for longer periods of time mm-hmm. like I you know I um you know, I'm not very present for long periods of time any t- any time you know I can do it and then I've got to dissociate sort of thing and and the longest I can do it is with horses um but yeah, I, yeah, it's just no, me that, stuff. It's, I mean, I know it's an awesome, not it's an awesome answer. Training. Yeah, I, I love the answer. And I think it's interesting because, you know, you gave a clear answer and then almost like there was a feeling of like, oh, I have to explain this a little bit. And I, I go through a little of that as a professional because I'm like, well, if I'm a professional, I'm supposed to be having these other goals. But I think, gosh, if, if I'm not competing and I don't have these other goals and that means I'm doing it really because I love it. Because I know professionals say, well, if I'm not competing, you know, I'm not going to do anything. So I think it's really beautiful work. That's like, you're here, you're 
working on yourself and you're here with horses simply because you love them. So <laughs> I think that that doesn't need any further explanation. Um, all right, here's a question for you. If horses could understand English for for a minute or a sentence or something like that, what would you tell them? If all of a sudden your horses could really, you could just speak to them, what would you want to say? Could I ask them something? Yes, you can say any words that you want. <laughs> oh, well, I, was, I thought, sorry, I thought I had to tell them something. Oh, um, um, yeah, what would you, I'll just say, what would you say to them? <laughs> what words would you say to them? I w- I'd probably ask, I'd actually probably, who would it be? We've got several odd ducks here, you know, including the one that kind of led me down the rabbit hole, but I'd probably, I'd, I'd probably ask them, what can I do differently? What, we've got a, a stallion here, my wife bought a couple of years ago, and he was quite shut down like that other horse, and luckily I kind of knew how to work through it to the best of my current knowledge, and he's still quite weird in some ways, like he has a so our we've got we've had three foals in the last four years, um, and I've worked on relationship first with all of them and, and like a, a consent based approach to where I didn't ever try to touch them. I'd go and hang out with them at the moment, sniff me, they come and sniff me, and it wasn't until they were completely comfortable around me before I ever started actually doing anything with them, um, and they are completely different than any other horse I've ever been around. And I had someone on my Facebook group here a while ago kind of telling me about his, he got this, maybe it was a Mustang or something or other, and he said, you know, things are going really well. Anyway, I don't think, so the, the two oldest of our folds, one's three, one's a yearling, is Chance and Rupert. And Rupert was actually named after podcast guest Rupert Isaacson because he impressed me so much on the podcast. We <laughs> named the fold after him. Um, but this guy said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure my horse will ever get to the point of Chance and Rupert where they have an absence of mistrust. And I was like, whoa, that's a great saying, an absence of mistrust. Well, this stallion that we've got here, um, you know, he lives out in a pasture with a gelding, but he he's actually the opposite. He has an absence of trust. He's... You know, you can go catch him and ride him and whatever. And, and he's, you know, he's amenable. But there's an absence of trust. It's not an absence of mistrust with the others. There's mm-hmm. an absence of trust. And with him, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know what can I do to help you through that. Because he's, 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 he's deaf and I don't think the deafness has anything to do with his weirdness. I think he's just. I think he's a very, very sensitive horse, and he was trained. He was trained. Um, how would you put it? Like he was in the Marines. Okay, you know it's all drill sergeant stuff, and you have to do exactly. And the, there is no asking how do you feel about that. It's just you have to do it. And and you know, like the the guy that the running trainer that trained him has trained a lot of really good horses, but I do think the really sensitive ones, are the ones that can that 
really shut down and kind of go inside their head. And he was he was really that way. But yeah, but with, sorry, this is a long rambling no, answer. No, but my answer would be, I would ask. Yeah, I would ask him, "What can I do to what help?" Can you do? No, I love that, and that's that's something that um, I'll tell my students. Like, if you're really stuck, just stop. You know, be present. And ask you look look at your horse and go. How can I help you? <laughs> you know, and I and I think even if they can't speak English, like they, I think just putting yourself in that mindset it brings out some curiosity. I wonder how I can help you, and turning on that part of the brain and just having that intention of that you would like to be better or be different or be more helpful to the horse. I think that's a great question to ask, um, and I, and I think we can we it's possible to get answers <laughs> if we have ourselves in that frame of mind that we're asking yeah 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 so you it's funny you asked me that question if you could talk to horses but then you said <laughs> then you said yeah i tell my students to do that and that's that's that whole and that's more of a spiritual thing right there but it's that whole you know been able to sit down and like meditate or whatever but then ask questions of the universal source or whatever and wait for those answers to come back and you know that's you've got to be really present to do that mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So, yeah you've got to be able to be present to do that and be present <laughs> yeah all right i wanted to um just talk a little bit about um your podcast and i'm always so curious because you've interviewed lots of different people um i'm curious if there's some common threads, you know, cause you interview a, a range of different people and topics and, you know, but um, one common thread is they're all talking to you, but I'm, I'm just curious for on your part, like, are there, are there pieces where you're like, Oh my gosh, this person said this. And so did that person. And this person also said it in this other way. So, you know, that to me, when that happens, it's like, Oh, here's, this is important because it keeps coming up in these different contexts. So, yeah, are there are there common threads, lessons learned that you've gained from talking to so many different people? Common threads would be common threads would be personal growth stuff, um, and probably like you when I had you on the podcast, it's not something you probably thought you were going to be talking about. You know, um, you know the thing I try to do on the podcast is okay, you. You are a successful person in whatever you do at this point in time in your life. How, what are the things that happened to get you to this point? And what's funny is, like, do you know who Jim Masterson is? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, Jim came on the podcast and, and Jim thought I was going to be talking about the Masterson method and what he does with horses, you know, and I kept trying to figure out because he was a he was a groom for hunters or jumpers or something or other, um, you know, in Florida, and he started noticing, you know, like when he'd be holding the horses for body workers to work on the horses and things like that. He started noticing these little things that were going on and started putting two and two together, and ended up coming up with the Masterson method. And so my question to him was, what skills or what life experience did you have before that? What that led you to be the only groom to figure that out. Like, why haven't all the grooms figured that out? You know, 
And uh, so I, I don't know, sometime during the conversation, I said, so where'd you grow up? And he goes, oh, well, you know, dad worked for a, a dad was a pilot. So we kind of moved around, lived in some different countries. And then he kind of goes, and I'm like, well, let's back up. What countries did you live in? He goes, oh, well, we lived in the Congo for a while. And then, no, 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 let's back up. You lived in the Congo. What was that like? Oh, yeah, it's cool. And, but then he goes on with his life. Well, no, no, let's back up to the Congo. So tell me more about that. And he goes, oh, well, yeah, the people would find these abandoned baby chimps and stuff. And so they bring them to me. And so I had these pet chimps and I would communicate with them and look at their facial language. I'm like, oh, that's why. Okay. Wow. You know, because he was saying like with the chimps, like facial expressions are a big deal and They'll rip your head off if you give them the wrong one. So it's noticing little stuff like that. And then later on, he says, in a sentence, he says, oh, and then I got really into TM and just continues on with the conversation. I'm like, whoa, 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 let's back up. You got into what? And he said, I really got into transcendental meditation. And where where Jim actually lives in Iowa or Indiana or Illinois, one of those high states, is where the main... I don't know if they call it a temple or whatever it is, but the main office for transcendental meditation is there. And he actually moved to that area because he was really into transcendental meditation. So it's it's things like that. It's it's personal growth or spiritual growth or whatever that seems to be the common common thread to, yeah. to I'd say everybody I've interviewed even the ones that i didn't expect to go there like with you (laughs) with your little little temple of the sun story you know um so yeah that's kind of been the common thread but some of the some of the wow moments have been uh josh nickel and um leslie desmond both said a one-line thing that were very very similar but just hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. Josh said, he was talking about with horses, he he said the horse basically says, do not take from me what is mine to give you. So don't make me do something that I would actually offer if the situation was right. And Leslie's line was... um, Yes has no value if no is not an option. Yeah. Love it. I have, yeah, I have a sort of similar, the, the, the willingness to oblige doesn't give you the right to, to demand. Mm. And that's kind of halfway between both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Both Interesting. of those sayings there. Yeah. I I, there's, that. there's been some, it's been some, oh, recently I've had, I've had some crazy conversation on the podcast. There was a, um, recently had a lady from LA, she's a transformational specialist, a transformational mentor is what she is. She used to uh, work in sober coaching quite a bit. She actually worked at a place in Malibu called Passages is where a lot of the movie stars go if they've got an addiction to something or other. And she's been in that fear a lot but she's ended up being a what she calls a transformational mentor but she was talking about a book called the art of war by stephen pressfield and she's talking about following your passion and like you know having the the gumption to to 
follow your passion. And in this book, he says that when Hitler's parents died, he was given a small inheritance and he was really interested in art. And so he took that inheritance and went to art school in maybe Vienna. I can't remember where it was, but went to art school, but he wasn't very good at it. And so we gave up and came home and eventually started World War II. (laughs) And the point he was trying to make was that it was easier for Hitler to start World War II than it was to follow his passion even though he wasn't good at it. Yeah, and I think... Is this it? The War of Art? The War of Art, yes. The War of Art, Break Through Your Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles. It's one of my favorite books. I had it just right over there. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, I love this. It's fun to just open it up to any page and... Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's, I, I haven't only listened to it on, on Audible, but it oh, sounds okay. like, you know, you could read one page at a time and it wouldn't matter which page you yeah. read because it's all these little. Yeah, the word. Yeah, it was, word. it was, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, so this lady, um, Christine Dixon's her name, but she was, uh, some of the stuff that came out of her was mind-boggling mm-hmm. and, it, and it was almost like everything she said was relative to me. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I was, I was, the day I did the, the interview with her, I wasn't kind of at a point where I was ready for that interview with her. It was like any other time it would have been a different experience, but it was, yeah. yeah. And we can get in, we'll probably get into that a bit later, but. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, 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 the podcast guests have been uh, amazing and it's, and it's funny. When I started the podcast two years ago, it was going to what my wife's idea was. Why don't you do like the like a, a Dr. Laura horse podcast? So you like have people call in like, "Hey, I've got a problem with my horse," and and <laughs> yada yada yada. But the first episode I actually did, I was called Changes, and the first episode was just me talking about the way I look at things different and then I used to, and then it kind of went on from there. And then I had a guest on, and it was pretty full on and then like oh, we can another guest like that and then another and another and another so it's taken on a kind of life of its own and we're going to have um in san antonio this year we're going to have uh the journey on podcast summit which you are going to be a presenter at thank you so much for that and it, i'm just so excited because the 22 presenters that are going to be there are all like inspirational to have them all in the same room at the same time is going to be amazing but then the type of people who are interested in coming to the summit is going to add to that that energy to where it's going to be this big collective energy it's going to be pretty cool i'm I'm really looking forward to it yeah i was i was so happy to get the email you know it's like you're doing it yes (laughs) like we didn't even really know what it was going to be at that point, but I'm just like, yes. And, uh, and it's really evolved from like a, you know, something that was like horse technique and it's really, it's really embraced what I think the spirit of your podcast is. And 
um, you really wanted it to be like the stuff in between all the technique and more of the life lessons. And uh, I think I'm just really looking forward to it. I can't wait to to go. <laughs> and um, yeah, so maybe you can tell people yeah, where they can find out be... about it. And I'll, I'll put a link to it too in the show notes. But yeah, go ahead and tell people oh, okay. where they can. Uh, originally, it was going to be in California at Rancho Mirada, which is a horse show facility. And and I'm like, nah, but the horses are going to get in the way. This is not a horse podcast, and we don't need another horse demonstration. I want, I want to get to the, the real stuff, you know. And so then we thought, well, let's have it in a, like a convention center type, type thing, and and um, just have, you know, people can have PowerPoint presentations if they want, but it's more about the, you know, the the, the real stuff, not the not the horse stuff. So it's going to be in San Antonio in um, November. Our tickets sold out. I don't know in the first week or so, and because we we kept it to, I think there's around 300, 350, something like that tickets because it's a small venue. We wanted it to be kind of intimate, and um, but we have a, we're going to have a live stream option available, which. I'm not the tech guy, so I can't give. I can't tell Karen right now where the where that's going to be. But it's going to be a live stream option available, and uh, which will also be available to playback later on. So if if you're in another part of the world or whatever, and you're going to be asleep at the time, you can always always watch it back later. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty fun. I'm looking forward cool. to it. Well, warwickshiller.com, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, and yeah. It'll be findable. <laughs> um, It'll be findable right. on there somewhere. Yeah, we are going to yeah, have a yeah. we have a website, or we're going to have a website for it. Summit dot I'm not sure, but anyway, anyway, if you go to our website, you can probably find it from there. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, did you? What did you want to be as a child? Were you always be planning on being so a horse my, trainer? <laughs> no. <laughs> now I'm I'm an I'm one of those guys that I'm a an accidental whatever I am, and so the, I'll tell you I'll tell you what I wanted to be as a child. So my father rode in rodeos and was a bull rider, and I thought I wanted to be a a, a bull rider when I was younger. And I you know so I rode calves and then junior steers and junior bulls, and I got on two real size bulls. Scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, you know, the, the, but that, you know, so I, I scared the crap out of me, but so I didn't <laughs> keep going with it. But that's kind of been the story of my life to where I, if things get hard, I take the other road. And there's, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. Like, obviously, that's not the path for me. So you go this way. There's, there's that way of looking at it, like, you know, go with what the universe presents with you sort of thing. But then there's the other thing to where there's there's some personal growth involved in pushing through hard things. And I've never really done it. I've never really done the, the hard things. I've always done the easy things and I've ended up where I've ended up. So obviously I think I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. But these days I'm kind of trying to, you know, look for things that I can do that, that challenge me a bit. And I, th I used to think, you know, like to say competing in the raining was that, but, but the horse, the horse riding is easy. So that's, you know, it's not like, 
Um, well, I wouldn't say the horse riding is easy, but but the, <laughs> anyway, these days, if I'm going to challenge me, I don't want to have to challenge a sentient being while I'm challenging me. Gotcha. Kind of. Yeah. So back to that focus of what you're working on now, right? What you said yourself. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's, um, it's, it's an odd situation to be in. And, and, and I don't even – you could probably talk about this too. I mean, you have this pretty large online platform and so you are known to a lot of people. And I think, you know, if you grow up, you know, wanting to be a baseball player or a football player or whatever or a singer or whatever, you have in the back of your mind that at some point in time if I get good at this, I'll be – Famous. Famous is in inverted commas here, but I'll be famous. And a lot of people know who I am sort of thing. And so I think you and I have both come to very minor league versions of that. And I don't know about you, but for me, I never expected to be there. So it's, it's kind of an odd place to be because who do you ask? You know, how do you handle... <laughs> how, do you, how do you handle being in the public eye when you didn't actually plan to be there in the first place. I don't know if you struggle with that at all. Um, it, it's I, a, it's I a, it's a do. thing. <laughs> I, I can look at it from all different perspectives. And actually I was going to, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, now I'm I actually mentor other horse professionals and who I really seek are the heart centered horse professionals. Cause I feel like in order for me to make a better world for horses, I have to help the really heart-centered, horse-first, caring, compassionate, empathetic ones. I want them to thrive, not the ones who are selling the wrong horse to the wrong person for too much. So right. yeah. one one thing that um, comes up a lot is, you know, a little bit of a fear of like, well, I can't say I do it this way because that's not traditional and everyone's going to think I'm weird. And, you know, for them to really own the special thing that they bring and to be able to be so bold as to just say it and do it. So, you know, you've done that. You've changed. You were probably more traditional and now you've changed. And I was wondering if you had any words of advice, you know, they've heard my advice, but like, how did you do it? How did, how did, was it hard for you? Did you feel any like, Oh, people are my, my colleagues are going to think I'm weird. Like, how do you go ahead and get that courage to just say, this is how I'm doing things now and we're going to sit here and just be with the horse, <laughs> even though you came to a clinic for something else or whatever the version of it is for you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You just said, you know, how do you get the courage to do that? And so I, I've always done the what I think are the easy things, but some of the things I've done, other people think are hard. And so that's one of them. Um, so, you know, I had a um, an online platform, and see that, and even the online platform was totally, totally not planned. I, I mentioned before that we moved to Australia for a few years. When we moved back, I had to start all over again, and I had some time. And Facebook was an hour thing, you know, social media. And I was training some horses, and I'd, I had a big uh, Andalusian, 17, one or two Andalusian dressage horse came in that was a problem horse. And so I videoed him, 
the first day I laid a hand on my video, the first session, the second session, and I started putting these clips up on, on Facebook and on YouTube just to show people, you know, how easy some things are. Because when I, while I was in Australia, I started doing some clinics and I had realized that, oh, people struggle with some very basic ideas about horses and that's what causes a lot of the problems. So I started putting little videos up about just different ways of looking at things. And then, you know, on YouTube, at the time, I don't know if it's the same now, but at the time you cannot put longer than 10 minutes on YouTube until you have a certain number of views because I don't want three hours of your cat chasing a laser pointer up and down the hallway. <laughs> and people had said, no, we want longer videos. I'm like, well, I can't put them on YouTube. And so I had to look for a video hosting site that charged me to put them on there. So I started charging people to watch videos. But that was totally not planned. It wasn't a business plan or anything. So now I'm training horses and I'm doing some clinics and I'm also got this video thing. And after a few years of doing that, I'm like, I, something's got to give. And the video thing was starting to go relatively well. And my son wants to go to college and I'm a horse trainer. And so I'm like, I realized I'm spending 90% of my time making 10% of my money, like riding horses six days a week. And so I decided to stop training horses. And you, you, you asked about before about you know what other people think. That was probably the hardest part was not training horses anymore. I'm thinking, what will the other trainers think? Like, oh, he's he wasn't good enough, so he gave up. You know, th there was there was that. Um, but that was probably the only hard part. By the time I came to making that that shift, all the videos I'd been making and the stuff I'd been putting out was what I was really doing. Like it's not the, you know, do one thing on camera, another thing behind the barn sort of thing. So I was always very, always very authentic about how I went about things. And when I, as I started to change the way I looked at things, I just was very authentic about that. And once again, no business plan, but you know this, that the demographic that we deal with is basically 35 to 65 year old females you know, there's probably 10% of it would be males, less than 10% would be males. And if it is, it's still the same demographic. And, you know, as I started looking at things differently with the horses and getting a bit more about connection, who else is, who's looking for connection more than 35 to 65 year old women with the horses, you know? So <laughs> it, I, I didn't think, oh, I wonder if this is a good idea. I wonder if people are going to think I'm a whack job or whatever. I'm just like, this is, how I'm viewing things and so this is what I want to share and it actually helped it actually you know there were people that kind of liked what I did but didn't like the way I went about certain things and they're like oh I like what you do now because you know I didn't like you in the past because you know and um so it wasn't it wasn't hard to do because I wasn't really I didn't really look at it like this is a win or a lose situation like this is good or bad it's like this is, I'm just sharing what I currently do. I used to share what I did awesome. before. Now I'm sharing what I currently do. I didn't really yeah. stop and think about it. I probably should have done because I, I could <laughs> no. have gone belly up and people were like, oh, he's a, he's a whack job. I'm not going to watch it. You know, I'm not going to do anything with him anymore. It's actually gone the other way. But I, I, I really didn't have a plan. I've, I've never yeah. had a plan. I've ended up here without having a plan. I, like I, I share before. that. I share that, that's, but but I think that is important because it's, good, it's, be, it's sharing. Yeah, it's sharing your authentic self and just keep focusing on this is how I help people because this is how I help people because this is how I help people and this is what I do and it's real and um, 
yeah, I think the more we think about that, and then imposter syndrome can't creep in as much <laughs> because it's not this much. Con- constructed. Yeah, it's always been as a way of creeping in. But um, well, thanks because you know I know that can help a lot of people who who um, do find that hard. It's like just keep focusing on this is real. This is what I do, and this is how I help. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I have I've got some professionals that. I wouldn't say I mentor them, but, you know, they, they've been following me and started to change things. And the, probably the biggest problem they have is like, I'm not sure I want to train horses for the public anymore. Because yeah. the person would have to change their perspective of things. Too. And, I, and I tell them, you know, there's someone for everybody. If you do things differently, you will just have different clients show up. You know what I mean? You, 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 you'll just get, you'll get people that view the world the way that, that you currently view the world. Yeah. And that's so important is not to try to fit into what you think people need. Just be yourself and then find the people that, that want that. Um, yeah. All right. What, um, <laughs> what is a common myth about your, about this profession that you'd like to debunk? <laughs> Well, the only reason I chose this question, it's not so much a myth about, it's a myth about the horse training profession, and it's not necessarily the horse training profession, it was my horse training at the time, but I used to get in a lot of warm bloods, you know, those sorts of breeds of horses that were problem horses. And like I said, I was very, you know, the techniques I used, I was not... You know, it wasn't forcing them or whatever, but but I had a I had a um, a warm blood eventing mare that was owned by an eventing trainer around here. They, they sent me one time, and I, she bucks. I think she kicked the the trainer in the leg and broke a leg, but she bucks is is the problem. And um, I'll get to the point of it here in a minute, but I'll tell a quick story. So the so I had her for a while and I, you know, I worked through all the groundwork and I was going to start riding her and I, I texted the the um, eventing trainer. Her and her mother are both eventing trainers in the area. And I said, I'm going to ride that mare for the first time today. You want to come over and watch? And they're like, oh, yeah, I want to come over and watch. So, and I don't think I had worked on having her come up beside me on the fence or the mounting block, which I normally do, but the way this story goes, I mustn't have done that. Anyway, so... Um, they're at the round pen and I had a friend visiting from Australia and he's standing over by the gate next to them. Anyway, so I have this mare come up beside him in the mounting block and she kind of moves away. And, and so I said, do you ever have any mounting problems with her? And they're like, no, never. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this must be new. But I, I spent probably half an hour just working on her where she'd stand there beside the mounting block with me on it. And when I got on, I got on, you know, and the brains, the, the buckles on her neck and she just stands there and I hop on. And the eventing trainer whispers to a mother and the only reason I know is because my friend was standing right there she said oh my god she's never stood that still for me to get on before <laughs> now <laughs> half an hour before I said do you have a mounting problem like no we don't have a mounting problem because standing still while getting on is not not a problem <laughs> um, but anyway what I heard later on was she had told someone the reason she sent the horse to me because the horse bucks and I wear a cowboy hat so obviously I'm going to ride the buck out of it so that's a, that would be a that's my common myth that you know because I because <laughs> I wear a cowboy hat I was going to ride the back end. Yeah, but but you know 
it's funny. On one hand, they think you're going to ride the buck at it. On the other hand, they don't think the horse won't stand still when you get on is, is part of a problem. Yeah. You know I have I mean? almost the same story. Yeah, so I had a, someone get dumped at a dressage clinic, one of the, the USDF put on, and they asked me, and I'm like, "Has it? Does it? Is this normal? Does it always have a bucking problem? Because it bucked when she was getting on." And I said, "Does, does she have a, a mounting problem?" They like, "No, you just get a couple people to hold her. She's fine." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, "That's I have a problem." An, 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 I have an identical story to that. That this place I was training at at, at the time. The guy that owned the place had an, a, a jumping horse that went to the Olympics quite a long time ago. And he thought, he's not a horse guy, he's a money guy, but he thought he could breed these, breed this day and sell the offspring for 100 grand a piece sort of thing, you know. Anyway, he had me start a, um, a few of them that would buy that stallion. And the first one I started was a four-year-old stallion. And um, I put a lot of... He was one of the early horses I put on on YouTube. So if, like, if you go to my YouTube channel and go to the very early thing, it'd be like first ride outside on a warm bloods day and then blah, blah, blah. This horse, I got the groundwork really good. Like he was a sweetheart. Um, well, he ended up being a sweetheart. He'd had some problems when he first came in there. But but when I sat, when I went through the saddling process, it took me a month to get him as good at the groundwork while wearing the saddle as he was without the saddle. And he just wasn't very good at changing eyes so if you're in this eye but then that stirrup over here moved like ooh, 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 oh, and off he'd go and it took him a long time to get really good with that so like i said it was a month before i actually rode him after i settled him because it just took that long to get the groundwork that good and then i started another one which was very similar and this is a it's it's an odd you know not many horses are like that but i yeah. started probably two or three others by the same stay and they're very similar and so I was talking to a jumping trainer at the facility who had also had some of those horses by that stadium. And I said, did the ones you had, were they weird? And she goes, oh, yeah, they were weird. She said, I had this one. You could go to a jumping competition. And you could jump three feet and he'd be fine. But when they went to three foot three, he would lose his mind. Like he'd go from perfect to like one time they put it up to three foot three. He jumped the first jump and bolted and crashed through the arena fence and ran through a crowd of people. And I'm like, whoa, that's weird. I said, how was he to saddle? And she said, oh, he was fine. And I said, so you could just drop the lead rope in the barn aisle and walk in the tack room and grab this. Oh, she goes, oh, no, no, no. You need two grooms to hold him while you put the saddle on. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, out of nowhere. So I, I, I've told this story a lot. And I'm like, I didn't say it to her, but I'm like, what a nice horse. He's, he's worried about having the saddle put on him. But he holds that in, and then he's going to be worried about having a rider on him, and he holds that in, and then they're going to ride him around, and then they're going to ride him around, and then they're going to start going over these little grails on the ground, and they're going to go over cross rails, and he still holds it in, and they go over these, you know, 18-inch jumps, and then two-foot jumps, and then two-and-a-half-foot jumps, and then three-foot jumps, and over once it gets over three feet, then I, he just cannot hold it anymore, and he loses his mind out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Suddenly it's out of exactly nowhere. exactly the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, he's fine to saddle as long as you have two grooms holding him. This is not yeah. to get on. This is to saddle him. Oh, my goodness. And it just, yeah, it's just <laughs> mind-boggling sometimes. That. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. You're out there. You've put yourself out there. Everybody's putting themselves out there on Facebook. Have you ever been insulted? And is there an insult, insult that you've received that you're actually proud of? <laughs> and for listeners, Warwick gave me permission to ask him this question. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I've been, I don't know if 
you'd call them insults, but I've been insulted a lot in the past. And the thing about the thing about being in the public eye, you do get you are open to criticism from people. And the thing I realise you have to do is you have to not you know like what's the saying you should people that think you're great and people that think you're horrible you shouldn't pay any attention to either of them because they're both wrong um right. but i do think that that i've actually learned a lot from my critics because you have enough people have the same criticism of you you start to think hmm and i i, I haven't had many people criticize me for a number of years now but in the past I, some of the criticism was that I wasn't waiting long enough, you know, all, all the things that I've changed. And so I wouldn't say that's what made me change, but it all made sense after I started to look at things a bit differently. But probably these days the, the, the criticism I get is, oh, like I talked about that horse of ours that when you approach him, you know, he does the little head turn thing. I did a video on that a while ago and like some guy was like, well, you could have bloody walked up and caught him anyway. Like, you know, I think it was an Australian sort of fellow. But, you know, like, he's not hard to catch. It's like it's not about being hard to catch. So, yeah. no, I, I, I do think, I mean, you can tell the trolls right off the bat, and the, you know, people that insult. You can tell it's more about what's going on with them than what you're actually doing with the horse. But like I said, in the past, I have, um, I have quite learned quite a bit from my, from my critics, actually. You know, it's funny, there's a, oh, I don't usually watch, Rob and I don't usually watch much TV, but during COVID, the first year of COVID, I think, we watched American Idol, and there was a guy on there who was just phenomenally talented, like this kid was just amazing, and he made it all the way through to the top 10 where they go to Hawaii and they do a concert on the beach, and then the next day, they go up in front of the judges and they get whittled down at the top five. This guy went up in front of the judges, and Lionel Richie said to him, he said, being a star is having equal amounts of self-confidence and self-doubt and keeping it somewhere in the middle. It's like you can't just think you're great because you probably won't do the work and you can't think you suck because you won't stick in there long. You know, you've got to kind of keep it somewhere in the middle. And it's a little bit like that with, with, with critics, you know, you yeah, you can't believe the the other end too much. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I think it's a good distinction of like identify the troll, <laughs> just, just don't worry about them. But it's that's that's where the personal power comes in to not take it personally, but to be able to look at it and go, okay, this is being said, and to not you know to be able to look at it and go, is there something to learn? It's information, but not not uh <laughs> let it uh go so far in that you know you believe you believe everything and it crushes you and i think that that middle ground the truth is always in the middle i think that's where the the hard yummy stuff of life is is like somewhere between <laughs> can i look at it and really see it and take it in and you know try to be objective um and not take it personally yeah which brings us to personal development. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. 
So now you've heard me rave about the Video Classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. All right, so personal development. I mean, I think this is a thread throughout everything that that we've talked about. Um, What do you feel is the most worthwhile thing that you've put your time into and something that you've done that's really changed, changed the course of your life? Um, I would have to, you know, it, it's basically changing the way I've looked at things. You know, I'm a huge fan of Wayne Dyer saying when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. But I was actually at um, a horse expo in Madison, Wisconsin, the Midwest Horse Fair, I think it's called. Have you ever done that one? No. Uh-uh. Um, a few years ago, and I met Barbara Schulte, who was actually one of the podcast guests, she's going to be at the summit. And um, I had to do a, a stand-up talk. So at the Horse Expo, sometimes you're doing a demo in the arena with a horse, and sometimes every once in a while they'll give you a stand-up talk. And so I have like a stand-by, stand-up talk that I give that's different every time, and it's called Everything I Learned in Life I Learned from Horses. And so I, I did this stand-up talk, and... It was about the time I'd started changing some things. And so I, I, I kind of spat out some stuff to a room of a couple of hundred people. Some of it I'd probably never told anybody before. Some of it I may not have ever even admitted to myself before. I'm not sure. But anyway, when I got done, I was walking back to the booth and I walked past Barbara Schulte's. Uh, booth and she said hey how'd it go and I'm like oh Bob I said I'm exhausted I feel like I've been run over by a train and she said why what happened and I said oh I kind of spat out some stuff up there that I wasn't planning on spitting out before and she says oh well you know Brene Brown says vulnerability is the ultimate badassery or something or other. it was the first time I've heard of Brene Brown and so I came home and looked up Brene Brown and started listening to some of her audio books and in one of them, she said, you cannot selectively suppress emotions. If you suppress the lower emotions, you automatically suppress the higher emotions. And, you know, growing up as a male in rural Australia in the 70s, you know, boys don't cry, you don't show fear, blah, blah, blah. And so I knew there was some suppressed stuff in there. And in, in my family, you don't show grief. Like, go to a funeral and I'm like, oh, well, he's dead, you know. I'm a such as life sort of thing. And so I'm like, well, I know there's some stuff that's suppressed, but I never thought about that it affecting the other side. Like, could I feel more 
joy or happiness or whatever. And so that that was kind of the start of a bit of a, you know, starting to unravel some stuff. And the further you go, the more you realize, oh, I haven't unraveled anything yet. Like it just gets it gets uh, it gets deeper and deeper. But yeah, I, I really, really, what it comes down to is unraveling trauma. I'd say that's the big thing that I would say is the um, probably the most worthwhile thing I've done, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, is, you know, and trauma's not what happened to you. Trauma's what happens, what stays in your body because of what happened to you. And so what you, what you find out when you get in that rabbit hole is it's not the big things that are, you know, it's not the the big things that might cause the problems. It might be little things and it might be something someone said to you sometime or whatever. And it's unraveling it. It's as you start to unravel it, it's interesting because you you'll shed one layer of stuff and like, oh, I feel completely different. And then you shed another layer of stuff like I feel completely different. And then you're like, how different can I feel? I mean, how much of this cultural conditioning and whatever can I shed? And who will I be on the other side of it? Because I think, I mean, I'll talk for me personally here, but I think most of us don't even know who we are. We are just who we've been conditioned to be. And when you get to unravel that stuff, it's it's deep, but it's pretty interesting yeah. when you get, when you, you know, when you get in there and start unraveling some stuff and you can let go of, of things. You know, I had a couple of, um experiences recently that were of a um plant medicine nature you might say um some guided experiences and one of them i let go of something that i've been holding on to for all my life because and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time. But the next day, I was, I don't know if I was standing or laying down or whatever, but I took breath and it went in and in. And it got to the point to where that's as much breath as I can ever take in. And in and in and in and in. I, I had more room to expand, to breathe in. I took twice as big a breath as I've ever taken in my entire life. And what I found was when I let it out, oh my God, I actually completely relaxed. And yeah, I, I let go of some sort of a restriction in me somewhere that has been, I mean, it's been tension. I've been holding on to something or other, and I'm not sure what it was I let go of, but I do know that there's a difference in my body afterwards to where, like I said, I can take a much deeper breath than I've ever taken in my entire life. And when I let that breath out, I feel a sense of, relaxation I don't think I've felt before either so yeah and it's mm-hmm. it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing but one of those particular um, experiences was the day before I did that podcast with that lady I was telling you about the, oh. where she talked about <laughs> Hitler and you know so and I said everything she said that day was like oh this would have meant something different two days ago you know yeah. so yeah it was interesting yeah story. it's interesting um you know, we talk about personal growth, but that expand, it, it feels like it doesn't to me, personal growth doesn't feel like, oh, I'm adding more to myself. It actually feels like getting 
rid of the stuff that's been sh- shrinking me. Like I, I think we're yep. we're whole and complete when we're born. And then as uh, Don Miguel Ruiz talks about our domestication that happens so early, and we become a domesticated version of ourselves, and then the rest of our lives are trying to shed it. So that when you shed it, it's like there's no, the growth is the expansion of what you have been contracting (laughs) is the, that's the sensation it gets for me. And then identifying like when something comes long ago, I'm not putting that layer on myself. I'm not putting like identifying it before it gets in and starts to shrink us again (laughs) or shrink me. Yeah. and Um, And the thing is, until you start doing that work, you, you don't even know you have those, you, you know, you, that stuff that you have on you, you didn't even know it's there. You just think that's you. And so right. that's the exciting part when you finally understand that, you know, you can shed some of that and be different on the other side. Yeah, yeah. So what um, what do you feel your true purpose in the world is? Are you just a horse trainer there, Warwick? <laughs> Is that how we should define I'm you? Gonna t- <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story that will be as freaky to you as it was to me. Awesome. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, my wife uh, went to Canada and did a uh, like an equine-assisted learning. It's not equine-assisted therapy because she's not a therapist, but did an equine-assisted learning thing because she, she kind of thought she wanted to work with like at-risk women and youth and things like that. And um, so it wasn't long after that she went over to the coast from here, so over near Santa Cruz, and did a a workshop with two other women, presented at this workshop with two other women. And both of these women at this workshop said to her, have you seen Denise yet? And Robin's like, Denise? Who's Denise? And they're like, oh, you got to go see Denise. And they gave Robin Denise's phone number, so Robin makes an appointment to go see Denise. And I was doing clinics in Australia at the time, and so I call her one night and I said, how's it going? She goes, I went and saw an astrologer today. And I'm like, really? You know, we're not astrologer type people. And she said, yes. So she recorded the whole conversation and you would not believe what she told me. Like, it's amazing what she could tell me about me. And so I came home and I listened to it. And I'm like, well, that's cool. You think I should go? She said, yeah, you should go. And this is about <laughs> the point in time I'd started changing what I was doing. It was a couple of years in. I was getting a bit woo. Um. And I had, I don't know, my YouTube channel now has got like 25 million views. And at the time it had maybe 20 million views. But you know, the, we're getting some sizable sort of numbers sort of here. And I am, like I said before, I'm being authentic about where I'm going in life and whatever. So anyway, uh, I go over there and she wants your date of birth, time of birth and place of birth. And so I had to call mum and actually ask her what time I was born. And then she prints your charts out and she goes through your charts. And so she's, and I'm not expecting anything. I'm just like, whatever. Um, and she's going through these charts. She goes, oh, 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 wow. This is, oh, this is interesting. You don't see this very often. So, <laughs> oh, you, you're the cryon, curion, cryon, the wounded healer archetype. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, basically what this chart is telling me from the moment you were born, your whole purpose here on earth has been to gather tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, and lead them towards consciousness. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, I'm just a horse trainer, you know. 
and at the time when I was sitting there with her, she, you know, she went through some other stuff and I'm like, okay, that's pretty heavy, but whoa. And so I was believing it. And then when we left there, I'm like, nah, hang on. You put my name into Google. There is only one person with my name. Okay. Very few people with my first name, not a lot with my last name. And you put the two together. There's only one, you know, <laughs> the first hundred pages are going to be me. She's looked me up. She's full of crap. That, because that can't be right. That's, that's not right. And you know what they say about the universe? If it sends you a message and you don't listen, it sends you a bigger one. So I was doing a clinic in Michigan a couple of months later and I'm no urban dweller. So like urban settings kind of weird me out a little bit, you know, and I do know that the two most dangerous cities in America are in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. Now, I wasn't in either of those places doing a clinic, but I'm still in Michigan and I'm a country boy, so whatever. And so I got, I did like two clinics back to back, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I was probably an hour's drive. The hotel was probably an hour's drive from the clinic, and I went to dinner after the clinic with the clinic organizer and got finished about 10.30 or whatever. I've got an hour drive back to the hotel and I've got a seven o'clock flight, so I've got to be at the airport at six, and then I'm backtracking, and I'm like, oh, I've got to fill the rental car up with gas too. I might as well do it tonight. So I drive around looking for a gas station, and I find a gas station in like a, a not a residential, what do you call it, a commercial, you know, like an industrial mm-hmm. area of inner city type industrial area type thing, and I pull in, and there's these, all these young youth loitering around of the gangbanger-looking type, you know, the way they're dressed and the whole thing. And mine were a bit on edge. And I pull up and I jump out and I swipe my card and I grab the, the gas handle and I try to open the gas cap and I can't get it open. I'm like, oh, God, oh, oh, um, um, how do I get it open? I'm looking in the car and I'm trying to find the thing and I'm getting more and more frantic and fun. I'm like, screw this, I'm out of here. I don't care if I got it. They charge me $10 a gallon for gas. I'm hang- So I hang up the thing and I jump in the car and I start the car. Now I'm driving the smallest rental car you can buy, like a compact, <laughs> maybe not a subcompact, but a compact. So there's, there's nothing that would give any indication of who I am, what I do. I've got a pair of jeans on, a plaid shirt and a ball cap, I think. Start the car and I start to drive away and there's a on the driver's side window and I turn and I look and there's this African-American guy right there with his head right up against the window and he's got a really serious neck tattoo and a bit of skin off one eye and I turn and look at him and he and I'm thinking oh here we go and he puts his hands up and kind of steps back away from the window and he says something like you know I, I don't mean to I don't mean to hurt you mister and what he sounded like and what he looked like were at odds with each other he had a cultured educated southern accent and so it made me pause for a second. I, I went on the window down just to crack. I'm like, can I help you? He says, excuse me, sir. Can I just, can I just tell you my problem? He says, I'm, I'm a gospel singer from Alabama. I have, a, I have a degree in religious studies from such and such university, and I've come up here to help build a church. And I got called off, and there was some miscommunication. I've been sleeping rough for a couple of nights. and I just need $19 to get a hotel room. I've got some money. I just need $19 more dollars. And, you know, and he said, I know you're probably going to say, well, why don't you sleep in a hostel? Well, I can't sleep in a hostel because I don't have a Michigan driver's license. Otherwise, I wouldn't. I'm really sorry to bother you. And he's very polite and very well spoken. Like at this point in time, I'm like, let me give the dude some money. And so I turn the car off and roll the window down and I shake hands to the window and say, hey, I'm, I'm Warwick. And he tells me his name and I wish I could remember what it was, but I don't know what it was. And so as we shake hands and I tell him my name, he says his name and then he starts to sing. 
and he is a gospel singer. So I'm in this rundown gas station in this industrial area in somewhere in Michigan at 11.30 at night, and this guy's singing to me a cappella, and it sounds like a church. Wow. But we're no longer shaking hands. We're holding hands through the window. So I'm looking him in the eye. He's looking me in the eye. We're holding hands. And he sings this whole gospel song all the way through, takes his sweet time. And then when he stops singing, then he starts praying. And he's praying and he takes his sweet time praying too. So we've probably been holding hands and looking at each other in the eye for five or six minutes by this point in time. And it doesn't feel weird. Nothing's going on. I'm going to get to the punchline here in a minute. Don't worry. And then he stops. And it's almost like he had a bit of a download or whatever. He stops praying. He looks at me and he goes, I don't know what you do for a living, mister. But your whole purpose here on this planet is to gather, I think he said, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people Wow. And lead them towards God. And then he said, <laughs> but the only thing holding you back is your fear. And it's like, oh, shit, you got, you know, you, you read me like a book. And at that point wow. in time, his left hand, I can't remember if we're still holding hands or not. His left hand reaches around behind him and he reaches like into the waistband of his pants. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, so this is how it happens. And I had—I just had this like peace come over me, like so. Okay, now I know. Anyway, then his hand came out from behind him, and there was nothing in it. He must have an itchy ass or something or other. But, but anyway, so I gave him a hundred bucks and said, "Get some food, get some sleep, whatever." Started the car, pulled out of there, drove half a block down the road, and pulled over. <laughs> on the side of the road, and I'm like, what the freaking hell just happened? So then I texted my son the whole story, texted it all out to him. Then I drove to the hotel, and I got in the hotel. Then I called him, and he goes, what the hell is this text at? It doesn't make any sense. And so I told him the story, and it, it did make sense. And, you know, you tell a story like that enough times, it changes. Well, I've got the original transcript of what I said, and that's what I said at the time. Wow. That's so. Yeah, that's why I chose <laughs> moment that of silence on that. <laughs> so that's your that's your life's purpose. Wow, is wow. to, and so, you know, like even the podcast summit is along those lines. It's not about horses. You know, it's about personal growth and connection to source or whatever. And consciousness and that and that sort of thing. But, you know, it has a horsey connotation. I think the horses are the thing that lead us in that direction. Yeah, um, the, the horses not, are the context you know, or the excuse or the... Yeah, the, yeah know, I mean, the, you could be, you know, it could be martial arts. You know, it could be anything that that gets big enough to where it's 
you're not doing it, you know, you're not riding horses just to ride horse anymore. You're not doing martial arts because you don't want to get beat up at school or whatever. It, it becomes more of a discipline. And yeah, I think that's. I it's a passion, you know, anyway, when you tap into a, a passion or something you really care about, then it's, it's like the pull that it's the reason you go mm. through these journeys. Do you have any regrets? And so, yeah. That you'd, uh, yeah. No, I don't actually, because no, I don't have any regrets at all because obviously I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing. You know, I haven't had a plan. You know, I'm not a good planner. I'm not a good organizer. Just this has just happened by happenstance. And then, you know, you have the what we call the night I make black Jesus um, incident and things like that. And it's like, no, everything that's happened has led me to this point for a reason. And if it had been different, it would be. It would be different, and even all the you know the, all the the trauma and unraveling all that stuff is like that influences my work with the horses a lot, and my work with the horses influences the people who are working with their horses. And and I talked about Brene Brown before, and she in one of her books she said that she didn't used to work with men or boys; she only worked with women and girls. That was her focus, helping women and girls. But then she said, at some point in time, it dawned on her. If we're not doing anything for men and boys, we're doing nothing. Wow. For women and girls. And for me, I think, and and I'm really big on mental health these days, but I feel like if we're not doing anything for the mental health of the humans who have the horses, we're not doing anything for the horses. You know, you, you can't just be, this is about horse training because the you know, the perceptions, the, the judgments, the labels, the energy of the people with the horse, who have the horses, a lot of times is what's holding them back. Like the techniques don't work for them because of the intention behind it. And a lot of that is stored trauma and all sorts of stuff. And, I, and, and I, you know, I, I think, you know, I personally want to help the horses, but I do think that helping the horses the way I'm trying to do it is actually doing the, I think, the purpose that I'm supposed to be here for. Nice. And it's, so here's, you know, it's, okay. sorry, I just wanted to finish up and say one thing. It, it's, it took me a while to, took me a while to tell that story. Not here. I mean, I mean, after it happened, it's like, I can't tell people that. They'll think I'm, you know, got some sort of a Jesus complex or something, you know. And then I'm like, but it happened. And not only did it happen, it happened a certain way as in, you know, like I was a mainstream horse trainer and had a lot of people following what I was doing on social media or on YouTube or whatever. And then when I started going a bit down this path, I was still relatable enough to where people could go, yeah, I'll take a look at that too. Rather than like if I was only there, like this, it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel. There's lots of people who, with horses that are way down the, the, the path, but they're not relatable to the average person. You know what I mean? And so I got to thinking about it. I'm like, no, I, that happened and this is what's happening. And okay, I'm just going to man up and tell the story. And if you think I'm a whack job, that's on you. 
I don't mean you, yeah. but you know, whoever no, but that, whoever hears yeah. the story, they can judge me how they want it. Well, and that's the thing, the judgment, the power of judgment, right? And other people judge us, but then we judge ourselves pretty powerfully too. And then we yes, try to yes. imagine what other people are judging. And, you know, I think that's so much human energy is wasted, spent on trying to, something related to judgment, trying to either judging ourselves or trying to figure out how other people might be judging us and then being affected by the way they're judging yeah, us. <laughs> it's just like, well, in the end, amazing, it's like, be you. <laughs> there's an amazing quote I heard Jay Shetty say, but it's not Jay Shetty's quote. I forget whose quote it is, but it says, you are not who you think you are. You are not who I think you are. You are who you think I think you are. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Unfortunately. <Yeah. laughs> oh my goodness. Um, all right. One one last question. Uh, have you ever had a paranormal experience? <laughs> I forgot you could put this one in there. If, unless that, okay, that last so story I, you told was kind of close. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. I think that was. That was an earthly experience. No, so mm -hmm. here in the last month, I've had two uh, healing ceremonies, plant medicine healing ceremonies. And have you ever done any psychedelics? Um, I did the ayahuasca. Did you want to admit to? Oh, you did ayahuasca. Okay. So, I did. You know, recently? Uh, on my birthday in April. Oh, wow. Go you. And how was that? You want to talk about that or not? It was my birthday. Oh, it was amazing. It was your birthday. Yeah. Um, you know, there's <laughs> a place that you go to, another dimension that you go to on psychedelics. And so I was, I um, had a couple of healing journeys about two weeks apart. And then anyway, so recently I was in North Carolina to do a clinic and I came down with COVID and got stuck in a hotel room for five days. And so I just was laying on a bed in the hotel room for five days. And when I came back, I was still, you know, it had been seven days since I first had symptoms. But when I came back, I was still testing positive. And so Robin had me sleep in the horse trailer. So I'm out in the horse trailer one afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon, laying on the bed in the horse trailer. And suddenly half of my vision, like the whole right side of my body, was in that dimension you go to on psychedelics. It was in that space. And I could see both spaces. I could see the left side of my body in the horse trailer. And it was there. And it freaked me the hell out. And I went, <gasps> and I sucked back from it. And it went away. But there was a there was a portal, an opening right there that I could have, if I just had a relaxed into, I could have going to that space. So I don't know if that, that counts as paranormal, but it it freaked me the hell out. I had to, I had to call my uh, mentor about that sort of stuff and he had to talk me down from the ledge because I was like... So it was scary. Was it scary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the two, the, the two um, healing journeys I've had recently were both very, very scary. And what was really interesting about them was I... Real, I, what they made me realize is, you know, I've been shut down most of my life, and I thought I've been shut down emotionally because I have 
such strong emotions that I blocked them out. But these two healing journeys recently made me aware of how much fear I have, absolute mm -hmm. terror. Um, and I'm thinking that's what's I'm, – I'm blocking a lot of that out. And um, my mentor was was telling me, you know, he he said that's that's pretty normal because, you know, you have the, the ego – death sort of thing but you you get to choose whether you actually want to let go or not and you know on the journeys i was on i wouldn't let go so i was fighting it the whole time but i was talking to jane pike the other day so jane's going to be presenting at the the nice. thing and um she's been on the podcast and she i was telling her about it and she said well like in so she was really into yoga for like a decade and lived in india and lived in an ashram and lived in burma and different places but she was saying like the the Buddhists will actually, in I think it's in Burma maybe, they don't bury the bodies or burn them and they just throw them out so that the birds can come and pick them and they go back into this, you know, the energy goes back into the circle of life easier. Well, the novice monks, what they have them do, they make them go and meditate with the dead bodies and it just wow. makes them fully aware that we are going to die, like of our own mortality. And... Jane was saying that, you know, in, in Western society, we don't, you know, you can't see a dead person. You can't say, I want to go see a dead person. You're not allowed to see a dead person. And she said one of the reasons why we have this disconnect between us and the natural world, like we're different from animals, we're not like animals, is so that when you drive along the road and you see a dead raccoon or whatever, it's just, it's not, that's not, that's not me. That's, that's, that's them. That doesn't happen to us. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, that is a huge separation of, mm -hmm. you know, just blocking out our own mortality. But anyway, so recently in my couple of experiences, I, I came to realize that, yeah, how much actual fear I have. And what's funny is, you know, my wife suffers from anxiety and, you know, I've always been the, I've always been the calm one and she's always been the anxious one. I realized I'm only calm because I'm so anxious I block it all out, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting you know, once again it's 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 learning more about yourself you know yeah yeah and so that's interesting i think it's kind of it, it's cool how even under the question about paranormal it comes back to personal <laughs> you know we are stardust right so what's more what's more yeah. un, you know <laughs> cosmic than our our own selves, which is I think really interesting when it it keeps wrapping around to this interesting paradox of like personal development, but it's also like the the infinite cosmos, and it's all the same. <laughs> so our next podcast, we can talk about quantum physics together. <laughs> hey, let's let's do it. I'm all over the quantum physics these days. Oh my goodness! All right, well, I'm going to wrap up this episode now because. I'm, we could talk forever, but that. I think we should do this in smaller doses <laughs> and I'll have you back. But um, thank you so much. I mean, I think this is going to be something that uh, I'm going to enjoy editing and listening to again. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy. It's a pretty interesting conversation for a guy who wears a cowboy hat sometimes. <laughs> I really appreciate your um, ability to, in Brene Brown's words, rumble with vulnerability and to share everything that you share and you know how can you not i think it's it's such an important story that you have and such an important message and it feels real and it feels helpful so i appreciate 
what you're doing and I appreciate you being here. Hey, I appreciate you having me. It's been a fun conversation. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.